Hi, and welcome back to Making the Argument. We have a special episode for you today with a special guest. But before I introduce her, I want to um, I want to talk about a poll that recently came out that we discussed in a previous episode where it showed that high school boys in the United States are actually more conservative than they've been in about 35, almost 40 years. What's just as interesting as that fact is that high school girls are more liberal than they've been in the last 35 to 40 years. And so obviously there's something of a disconnect because as Christian, our, our political prognosticator also points out, one of the most um, just compelling uh, pieces of analysis that you can look at when you're predicting election outcomes in, in any race right now is to look at the number of college-educated single women that are voting in that election because it turns out that is one of the most loyal voting demographics for not only Democrat candidates, but far left-wing progressive candidates. So on today's episode, we are very happy to have someone that we think can provide some special insight into this topic, as well as some 2024 uh, election predictions, uh, not to mention some insight into what really goes on to political campaigns. So with us today is Catalina Lauf. She was a former Republican candidate for Congress in Illinois. And she is going to talk with us today about some of her thoughts about some of the issues that we're, we're seeing taking place in the country and how we can do a better job as liberty-minded individuals, both attracting the sort of candidates that we want to represent us in Washington, D.C., not to mention our state houses and our local government, but also that just what is the proper role of government? So with all of that said, Catalina, thank you very much for being on today. Thanks for having me on, Nick. Appreciate it. Catalina, give us a little bit, just give the audience a little bit about your, your background, uh, you know, folks, you know, growing up and, and whatever compelled you to run for Congress. I mean, you're, you're, you're a successful entrepreneur, um, you know, you're intelligent, you have integrity. What would make you want to go to Congress? <laughs> yeah, great question. Uh, no, it all comes down to, you know, we all have our own story. And it really comes down to what I saw happening in American politics was just this idea that these far left progressive women were taking over the progressive movement and, and the Democratic Party. And they were infiltrating the media. You know, they had massive social media platforms. And by Democrat women, I mean members of the squad. And I just saw the rise of, again, this, this younger demographic. And how were they, they were taking over the party. And so ultimately, I decided uh, to run for office to be a counter voice to a lot of these younger women. And it all starts from, again, my own personal story. I grew up in a very small town outside of Chicago, farmland, uh, very working class, uh, working class to middle class. Uh, my mother immigrated here uh, to the United States from Guatemala. She worked three jobs, learned English at night. My grandmother picked coffee beans at eight years old. And really it was their story of hard work and, and resilience and wanting to come to America for a better opportunity. Uh, my father was a small business owner from, from the States here outside of Chicago as well. And, you know, together they really taught me the values of, again, hard work, liberty, and, and really I was a product of the American dream and I saw that American dream under attack as I grew up. You know, I went to college, all of my professors were so liberal. And at that time, I was very passionate about Republican conservative values because I had been brought up again with these values. And it really comes down to your household. You're, you're most influenced by 
uh, your upbringing and, and your family at, at the beginning stages of, of life, especially when it comes to current events or, or things like ideology. And I would read from, from a young age, uh, Ayn Rand and, you know, Rousseau and some of these, these, these authors and philosophers that kind of really helps me form an idea of what ideology was and, and conservative principles, but also the the value of a free enterprise system. That's ultimately what makes us different uh, is our economic system here in America and that marriage between economics and, and, and liberty. What our country was founded upon is different from any other country in the world, and that is liberty and freedom, right? But that also translates into an economic system. So also growing up in a small business uh, home, you know, my father being an entrepreneur and, and learning that and, and having my own business later on in life, working in the private sector, uh, that really also shapes my political values. And so ultimately, long story, long of saying, when I ultimately ran for office, uh, I was prior to that, I was a political appointee. I was a presidential appointee under the Trump administration in a small business, uh, in a small business agency. And there I was able to really see the, again, the marriage between government and small businesses and how President Trump was really able to capture the audience of new people, but then those policies were actually translating into real life successes for the American people. Um, before that, I was a disenchanted Republican with the likes of the Romneys of the world. Trump comes in, he's a businessman. He disrupts the entire system, which I absolutely loved. Uh, we are a nation of disruptors and it was about time that happened in politics with somebody like President Trump. Fast forward to being a part of his admin administration what we were seeing was a legislative agenda, like the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, Opportunity Zones, uh, the trade deals, how he was standing up to China. These were things that we had been seeing in the business sector as a need for deregulation, lower taxes. And finally, you had a president that was actually putting this into action. And what we saw, Nick, was obviously the economy was incredible. You had low unemployment rates. You had small businesses that were able to grow and prosper in a deregulated environment. Again, lower taxes of people of all races. And here you had somebody who delivered all of that. And so ultimately, it was a really good stark difference between decades of government, big government intervention to hear you have somebody who understands business, who wants people to be able to afford more things, be entrepreneurs, have more money in their pockets. And you really had that being delivered. All right. So let, let's unpack that a little bit. So when we look at um, progressive ideology, um, one of the things that we see is that as, as I look at you describing your background, all right, so you are... Um, according to the way the progressives define anyone, which is usually breaking someone down based off of what's your race, what's your income, what's your sexual preference, you know, what do you identify as? And then at that point, they'll tell you what victim group you belong in. Well, again, from a, from a progressive perspective, and I would say specifically from kind of the, the woke uh, side of the progressive spectrum, where we're talking about people that tend to break everything down based off of these group identities, very, very rooted in critical theory, um, you should be on their side. Right. This doesn't make any sense. You're, you're college educated. You're biracial. Mm -hmm. You're a woman. Right. Like you have no business supporting anything to the right of, you know, Hillary Clinton. 
because you're you're supposed to you're supposed to fit firmly into their camp. I mean, don't you realize they're the ones that are actually taking care of you and protecting you and, and ensuring your rights and, and all these things. And the thing is, is that I know plenty of parents that have, you know, maybe a, a similar worldview that your parents had um, or similar experiences with respect to raising or, or uh, you know, raising a child, having a small business, um, you know, believing in, in the American dream or the American experiment. They believed in everything you just described. But when their kids went off to college and, and increasingly just when their kids go off to junior high now, yeah. they're not coming home believing the same things that they were taught in their home. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that I, I, I can tell you right now, I get questions like this all the time. They're like, Nick, I, I believe what you believe. And, and we've, we feel like we've made similar arguments and we feel like we've raised our kids in this environment. And yet when we're competing with the public school system, and especially when we're competing with the university system or with social media, or with, you're, you're right in that age group where you grew up with all of this. It's, it's not like I'm a little bit older. So I, I remember a time when social media wasn't, you know, quite so, so rampant and accessible. But you grew up with all of that. Here's what I want to know. Why do you think, first of all, why do you think that narrative, um, that, that so many young women have found that narrative so convincing? Mm-hmm. I think it's twofold. I mean, number one is exactly what you pointed out in terms of social media and influence, right? So I think that Men and women, especially younger minds, are heavily influenced, again, by their surroundings, their peers, and especially when you're in your formative years or even into college, you want to be a part of something. And you have fads, you have, you know, think about how many commercials you see a day where, you know, whether it's makeup brands or clothing brands, you know, there's a huge marketing uh, appeal to the progressive movement. And why? It's because the progressives have an incredible, they have, they have done something so well, which Republicans, I think sometimes struggle with is appealing to emotion. They are able to market on all of these massive platforms that Republicans were just a little bit, um, we were behind on, you know, we weren't on things like Instagram or Facebook or, you know, now TikTok. uh, under, I think it was Obama who really campaigned. He used marketing tactics that were unknown, like were completely unheard of in when it came to political communication and political marketing. So he was able to attract thousands, especially younger voters, because he had he was a different base, but also had a really great marketing uh, platform and, and a message that really resonated with younger individuals. They were doing things like rock the vote. They were texting uh, millennials nonstop uh, around that time. And, and the, the Democrats and the progressives have been able to really feed off of that. And then now, fast forward uh, a decade later, you have new tactics and even younger faces like, you know, AOC and, and the squad and these younger women who, if a woman is looking at a, a marketing message or, or li- listening to politics, they're going to be more compelled to listen to somebody who who looks and talks like them and who's able to appeal to them in an emotional way. That's not to say that there isn't a need for, you know, white males or or whatever it might be what they try to say that that's the only people in the Republican party. But 
you're going to be more influenced by somebody who looks and speaks to to you and also is able to appeal on the things that you care about. You know, abortion is one of the number one issues for young women, which we know as Republicans that the amount of fear tactics that have been surrounding that issue to millennial women is, is absurd. You know, there's no, first of all, the fact that the states now have control is, is the number one uh, difference now that we haven't seen in the last uh, decade, but that's where it should be. You know, our founders wanted things to be to the state level. Go ahead. Let, let me ask you this question on that, because th- this is an issue that, that I think is very interesting because I'm old enough to remember when Democrats largely campaigned on this concept of safe, legal, and rare. Mm-hmm. And so their their whole their whole approach with respect to abortion was this idea that hey look, um, and and look I'm I'm adamantly pro life, mm-hmm. but their 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 approach used to be, yes, abortion isn't a good thing, but it may be a necessary thing, and so that's why it should still be again safe, legal, and rare. Yeah. And and their their overwhelming argument was not so much the 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 current narrative that we see, but was more around this idea that. This is going to take place anyways, and so therefore there needs to be a safe legal option. And then I, I've watched as gradually over time. Now, I will say this. I kind of recognize that they were never going to be able to actually win with that narrative long term mm-hmm. because what you're doing is you're making an excuse for something. You're not advocating for something. Mm-hmm. And what we gradually saw over time was them transition from this idea of, well, yeah, this is an unfortunate thing that sometimes happens to, no, this is a wonderful thing that is essentially, and maybe not wonderful, but this is a, um, for some of them, this is a manifestation of female empowerment. Mm-hmm. Um, this was this is something that gives you as a woman special power and anybody that attempts to restrict it in any way is essentially trying to rob you of your bodily autonomy or your freedom or your future or whatever else it might be. And and I found that I, I found that messaging interesting because at one point I can appreciate that it's effective. Mm-hmm. On on another level, I look at it as as being horrific that this would be the thing that you would utilize as a symbol of female empowerment. Mm-hmm. That that the the deliberate destruction of innocent human life. And look, we we can set aside for a second whether or not some people think that there's there's different allowances that should legal allowances that should be made under certain conditions or circumstances, right? I I I understand that reasonable people can disagree on certain aspects of this. But the fact that you would elevate it to again to an example of female empowerment. I mean, that just seems pretty I, I look at that and I don't just look at the implications for abortion. I look at the implications for how women see themselves, how women see the the role as being a mother, and, and really the overall dim, diminishment of human life. And that, that seems a pretty heavy price to pay. But I just got out of election cycle here in Virginia, and we lost both chambers. And the only thing Democrats ran on was abortion. They didn't run on the economy. They didn't run on keeping your streets safe. They didn't run on better schools. They ran on abortion and it worked. Why do you think it was so effective? First of all, I think it also shows that the Democrats, they want female empowerment and they care so much about women, yet they think that we're a one issue surface level voter, that that's all we care about. To women, especially, uh, obviously we look at... um, Gen Y and getting into more of the older millennial women, one of their top issues is the economy. And so when you have moms that can barely afford grocery bills and or they're sick of what their kids are are listening to, 
when it comes to woke ideolo- ideology in their classrooms or things like that. Those issues are, are what uh, we really, what women do care about. And we're not just a single issue voter. I think we need to do a better job as Republicans. And I'm not sure the the marketing landscape in, in a place like Virginia or how that is appealing to a female voter, but we need to do a better job of emotionally driving women when it comes to the economy and also being able to counteract uh, the abortion topic. When you have a text message from the progressives that put in millions of dollars to a, a very small data-driven demographic, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to target a woman who's 18 to 35, and I'm just going to say, Republicans want to take over women's rights, vote for a Democrat, something so simple like that, but you're able to to get them on their phone. And then on top of that, continue to hit them with the message over and over again that this is what Republicans stand for. This is why they want to take away your rights, even if it's not even factually accurate. Yeah. You're going to be more susceptible to voting for a Democrat. You don't need, you might not even know who the Republican person is or, or what they're standing for. So we need to do a better job, I believe. And it takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of, uh, a marketing tactic to be able to hit this demographic of women and say, Hey, we're not trying to take away your rights. This is the reality when it comes to an issue like abortion. It, it should be safe and rare. And I think the majority of women would agree with that here in Illinois, for example. Uh, you know, it, we, it's a it's a bad joke, but we say it's the abortion capital of the world because you're allowed to have an abortion up until nine months of birth. If most women knew that fact, I think that they would be more susceptible to vote to voting against something like that. But the reality is the facts just aren't out there. And then we vote on emotion. Every voter votes on emotion, frankly, when they're in the voting booth. So we need to do a better job, I think, of combating that. Um, and it's again, it's a fear-based tactic that the Democrats use, and they're able to to roll with it for a long time, unfortunately. Speaking of which, you know what makes everything better? Free bacon. That's right. Good Ranchers right now is offering free bacon with their subscription. Here's what that means. That means when you go to GoodRanchers.com and you put in promo code Nick and you sign up for one of the subscriptions so you can get the excellent meat products that they provide you, not only will they give you the meat products you ordered, they're going to give you another meat product for free that you will use to wrap all of the other meat products, right? But if you just go willy-nilly over to the site and you decide, oh, I'm going to look for this offer, you're not going to find it because you got to do promo code Nick. It's for my listeners. That's you. That's you. It's exclusive for you. GoodRanchers.com, promo code Nick. Sign up for one of the subscriptions. And with each order that comes in on that subscription, you're going to get a pound and a half of free bacon. People, it just, it just doesn't get better, right? Plus free shipping. So GoodRanchers.com, promo code Nick. Go get your free bacon. Go do it right now. But again, you don't use the promo code, no bacon for you. All right, let's get back to it. So let me, let me ask you this. This is because I have found it interesting that um, in Virginia, we'll be debating a particular issue. And, and now we're not even talking about campaigning, right? We're not talking about theoreticals. I'm, I'm looking at the bill. Yeah. Here's the bill that they are currently advocating for. And I'll go on to Twitter and I'll go on to Instagram. And look, we've, we've got a million followers on, on Instagram and we've got you know over 100,000 on Twitter. So it's like we, we have a fairly large audience. And I'll go out there and I'll say, this is what they're advocating for. Yeah. And it's fascinating when I get told by progressives showing up in the in the comment section, that's a lie. That's not what they want. Nobody wants that. I'm like, what do you mean nobody wants it? You don't know what you're talking about. I'm talking about it from the floor of the Virginia House of Delegates looking at the resolution. And it's this cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. that is just incredible. Like in the face of obvious facts, they're they're able to just 
go right around it as if none of that matters. And this is, a, this is another thing that I think going back to kind of my initial lead up to this, again, you, you fit all the markers that Democrats suggest and the progressives specifically suggest should make you a progressive. Mm -hmm. So how is it that you could have gone to the schools, gone to the universities, you know, experienced social media, experienced the, the trends that were taking place at, at the time that you were growing up during this formative years? Why didn't it convince you? Like it's convinced so many other, so many other young women. Why didn't it convince you? You know, that's interesting. Uh, I, I get a ton of messages from women who will say, you know, I was never involved in the political process. I'm Hispanic, I'm black and whatever it might be. I'm a millennial. And a lot of the time, sometimes they just say that I didn't even know it was possible. Like, which is crazy. We live in a free world. You are allowed to critically think. That's one of the be beautiful things about our country is that you have access to so much information and you're able to decide on your own opinions. And I think growing up, I never, I never forgot where I came from. I never forgot the values that, and the stories of my family and everything that they, what, what it took for them to achieve what they have achieved. And it was all, it all centered around liberty and again, free enterprise. And then obviously being in college, you're surrounded by a ton of liberal professors, but always in my mind was, I want to have a better, I want to have a, a, a better understanding of what they're trying to push. But also, again, I had grown up with, with uh, these stories against communism, especially with my mother coming from a third world country, you know, in Central America, this is a government, this is a military dictatorship in a lot of these Central American countries. I grew up with what it, what big government and when it turns on its people, what, what that creates. And it's, it's a country that's against the people. And what we were founded upon was always that this is a country for the people, by the people, and we have the power and the control. And I think just being able to, A, obviously you're influenced by your parents, but then also when you become older, learning and, and thinking critically and asking questions. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes we're so caught up in what the media is saying. You know, when you have somebody like, I'm going to use Taylor Swift as an example, when you have someone with such big influence like that and all these celebrities telling you how to vote, telling you what, what their agenda is or their issues, and you're a young woman and you're more susceptible to what, you know, your, your celebrity is, is pushing, you know, all those things really do matter. And so I think there's a lot more women. I know the data might, might prove otherwise, but I do believe that there are a lot of women out there who would, would, um, be more susceptible to voting Democrat if a, they had other people, younger individuals who they're listening to, Hey, that's a really good point compared to what I'm hearing on the mainstream media. But also a lot of them, I think aren't voting in general too. And so we need to grasp those, the middle ground of the people that the women who don't believe in communist or socialist ideology, they, they listen to someone like AOC and they're like, wow, I don't really agree with what she's saying, but they just maybe haven't heard a Republican or a female talk about different topics or they're just not voting at all. So how can we appeal to, to that demographic? You know, you're never going to win the far right progressives at this point until they grow up a little bit more. You know, I think as younger women, especially millennials too, 
they start having children, they start recognizing again how expensive grocery bills are, how expensive childcare is. I think those things are going to matter a little bit more to them than th- these social issues. And so I think we got to aim well, deep, but also capitalize on a marketing tactic that brings them in as well. So it, it sounds too like when your mother came from Guatemala, she came to the United States, like she she was actively looking to come to the United States for, um, you know, a, a better opportunity for, you know, for her to have a family, to, you know, have a career, whatever else it might've been. But it, it it sounds like, and, and we get this all the time in the United States, you'll, you'll hear about Californians leaving California, going to another state like Texas or Florida, and then immediately voting like they, you know, like the state that they fled. And it, it sounds like your, your mother left Guatemala, came to the United States because she appreciated the opportunity the United States provided, but she also appreciated the principles which allowed that those opportunities to exist in the first place. And it sounds like she became very protective of those principles and very eager to share her own experiences with you. Would, would you say, I mean, is that an accurate representation? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially even when it comes to the immigration debate. You know, we talk about the left tries to put emotion on what's going on in the border, that these kids are in cages. We have an immigration problem. When you have people who have done it the right way and they sacrificed uh, a lot, they came to a better country because they wanted a better country and a better opportunity. But people like my mother and a lot of other immigrants, the majority of immigrants, frankly, that that do vote Republican, as we've seen the data showing as well, a lot of especially Hispanic voters are trending more Republican because they don't want to have what we have here. That This is what they left. They left communism. They left, uh, you know, media prop being a propaganda machine. They left uh, military dictatorships. They don't want America to turn into this country that, again, exactly what they left. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, immigrants like my mother really remember what life was like. And they always looked at America as a beacon of hope. And they will fight diligently to make sure that America remains that way. And so even on the campaign trail, when I ran for office, uh, both in, in, uh, in 2020, in the beginning, we saw a ton of immigrants who were like, what is going on? You know, we left people who were talking about socialists and communists. We don't want a handout. We come here to work hard and we 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 come here uh, because it's the American dream. And so we also have to capitalize on that. But Nick, also my father, you know, I remember him sitting me down when I was so little and and showing me books on the Constitution and the founders. And he always said, you cannot forget what our country was fought, was founded and what people have fought and bled for. And I think, it, again, it comes down to you're, you're most influenced by your, your parents. And when I get a ton of parents on the campaign trail, they say, how do I make sure that my daughter or my son doesn't turn into a Democrat once they go to college and then even beyond that? And I say, tell them your stories. Tell them what it, what it took to build our country. Tell them these values. Give them information. And then ultimately, People are smart. Once they go to school, they'll be able to decide. But if it's never in front of them to begin with, and it's never influenced uh, from the beginning, they don't have a counter voice to say when they're a liberal professor sitting there talking about communism and socialism and social justice, if they've never had an example of the opposite, they might be more susceptible to believe somebody in their realm of influence as well. Well, and that's... 
So yeah, that that's a great point because it, it it's amazing how many people when when I'm, I'll make some little remark about socialism and um and and again what what a horrible and a authoritarian uh, system of of government and economics it is and people always come to like oh you mean like the Nordic countries you mean none of which are socialist <laughs> like it it, re- it really there really has been this and and again this kind of goes into this postmodernist um you know ideology that we also see within the universities university system where it's this idea that they have no problem rebranding whatever they want and and having it bear absolutely no resemblance to reality whatsoever and and we're seeing that manifest itself in in several other ways now as well with obviously something of an identity crisis that we're not only having as a nation but that we're also seeing on an individual level um let let me ask you let me ask you this and then I kind of want to transition to talking about uh, 2024 and some of the things that that you're seeing and that you'd like to see Overall, if, if you were going to, you know, you, you talked about the stories and whatnot, but overall, if, if you were going to, if you're going to talk to a young man or a young woman right now, or you were going to talk to their parents and you were going to say, look, I did it, right? I went, <laughs> I went through the university system. I went through all of it. I, I meet all of the, you know, I meet all of the criteria to be a, you know, progressive voter, like a, a, you know, an AOC style progressive voter. And yet I'm, I'm the exact opposite. I believe in individual liberty. I believe in free market economics. I believe in the idea of, of strong men and strong women coming together and raising family, you know, having families and raising kids. I believe in all of that and I fight for it. Right. And, and you've, and you've done so at, at personal cost. What's the advice you give to that parent that is looking at their student that maybe is at like middle school age right now? Um, and they're, and they're, you know, maybe for the first time in their life, they're they're recognizing that, hey, my kids are starting to come home with questions that they picked up at school, either from stuff their friends said or stuff that they saw, uh, they listened to in a song or something that their teacher told them that is just, one, something they never would have imagined having to hear when they were in middle school. And now they're having to contend with this and they feel intimidated, right? What What is your advice to that parent that is, is desperately wants to be able to transmit those values in a relevant way and, and to do it in the way that your parents were able to do it, that, that you not only, that you not only grasped and appreciated, but you truly made your own, mm-hmm. right? Your parents just didn't say, this is the way we raised you, mm-hmm. right? They, they shared something with you that, that stuck. And as, and as you thought about it critically, mm-hmm. um, all of a sudden they, they weren't just your parents' values. They were your values and they were values you were willing to, to fight for. So, what what's the advice that you give to to parents or to a, a young man or a young woman right now that is going through that? You know, this sounds so simple, but when I was on the campaign trail, I'd ask a lot of parents, hey, have you just sat down to have a conversation with your your kid about a current events, what they think about it? And on top of that, then instill the values that you believe uh, are maybe I want to say more logical, but when it comes to the economy, you know, do you believe that paying $10 for your Starbucks because of, do you believe that paying $10 for your Starbucks instead of, you know, just a couple of years ago was only four or $5, make it in those relatable terms. Do you think that that's okay when you make this amount in your paycheck? Do you believe that it's okay that, you know, 30, 40% of it goes to a government that is then, you know, dive a little deeper because somewhere there's a liberal progressive mom sitting their kid down talking about emotional learning and social justice and raising, you know, small little woke kids, you know, gay pride, this transgender, that somewhere, somewhere in the country, a liberal mom is doing that 
why don't we do our jobs as not just, um, I don't want to just say Republican, libertarian, conservative, but just as free thinking Americans, do your job and, and sit your kids down and, and talk about these things. Because unfortunately, a lot of parents aren't having these conversations with their kids and they're getting it from somewhere. They're getting it from their teachers who are done are, are woke. They're getting it from other people or from other kids' parents. And I think just having that conversation uh, is, is a, the number one thing, but doing it in a relatable way, but also seeking out um, some of these influencers. You know, we now that we have so much influence now when it comes to social media, who are younger voices? Who are people that you should you know, maybe listen to their perspective on and, and say, okay, I actually do agree with, with what this uh, particular conservative person is saying or access to information that just is, it's out there. It's just, they don't even know where to start. You know, when you have your liberal yeah. professor sitting there saying, hey, I want you to watch CNN and I want you to read this book and this is where you're going to get your information. Our job, you know, I'm not a mom yet, but you know, you sit your kids down and say, well, Look at information here. L read these books. Let's let's talk about it in a relatable way. And I think, unfortunately, households aren't having that co th that communication. We're you know we're not. And unfortunately, it's sad because you know kids should be kids. And even when you're in high school, you know you have other things to be worrying about, not what's going on in in politics, right? But I think having those conversations early on are so effective and so important from a long term perspective. No, that that's great. I, I, I man, I couldn't agree more. Um, it, it is it is me. I, I was always very appreciative of the fact that you know my mother, my father, um, and and even though even though they ended up getting divorced, like I still spent a, a lot of time with both of them. And and I I didn't grow up in an environment where it's like oh we don't talk religion and politics. Like I didn't grow up in that environment. We talked about ideas. Mm -hmm. And and you're right. I I can remember having the sort of practical conversations with my parents where they would share a principle through a a relevant life story. And I I, I I'm so appreciative that you said that because one of the problems that I think we have a lot of times on on more of the um, liberty side, libertarian side, conservative side is that we write really good white papers um, or, or we get in really, really non-productive arguments on social media sometime. And then, and then we don't actually spend the same amount of energy actually having a conversation with our own children in a way that's relevant and accessible to them. And a lot of times through stories, not because we're not going to share the facts or statistics or numbers that back up what we believe, but you know, who wants to sit there and listen to, you know, some sort of either esoteric argument or data-driven argument when it, and it's not actually connected to a story that we can relate to. And, and you're right. I, the left has done an excellent job of, I mean, shoot, they don't even got to use the data. They don't even got to use the statistics. They don't even got to use it. They can just come up with an incredibly compelling story. I remember I, I recognized this when I was watching cartoons with my kids one day. I was watching a Barbie movie with my kids and not the Barbie movie, right? This was a little Barbie cartoon like years ago. And, uh, and I'm sitting here watching this going, okay, this is a neat little story, but there's actually a really, really horrible economic message in here. And we sat down and I explained, I said, okay, do you guys see when, when they, do you guys see when they did this and then they did this over here? And well, yeah, like, okay, does, does that make sense to you? Well, what do you mean, dad? And I, and I would go through and I would explain kind of the principle, but we were using a topic that was relevant to them because they've been watching this, this Barbie cartoon. And it, it actually provided an opportunity to explain why this particular, you know, idea that they were putting out there didn't make any sense. 
And they were still able to enjoy the, the show, but they also walked away being a little bit more informed with respect to some of the messages that were coming across and, and you know, little simple shows that they were watching that we wouldn't think we'd have to be concerned about. And I, and I see now is how that's only gotten increasingly worse. Um, let me, let me ask you this. Um, as we go into 2024 and we look at the various, you know, candidates that are lining up in the, in the presidential race, now, obviously, like you worked for the the Trump administration, um, you know, I, I, you know, obviously ran for Congress the the same year in in twenty twenty, and and we worked with the Trump administration as well. As you look at the candidates, and and I'm going to do this on purpose. I want to set Trump aside just for a moment mm-hmm. because I, I think there's a lot of people that are are very very dedicated to Trump as a candidate, and I I completely understand that. But I want to be able to analyze some of the other candidates, especially what you kind of mentioned earlier was this idea of disruptor candidates. Yeah. Uh, people that are, have arrived on the scene that don't fit the typical political mold. They didn't grow up within a political machine somewhere. Yeah. They haven't been in office for the last 20 years. And and when when you look at that, which candidates do you think are doing the best job? Right. And, and I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll back that up a little bit. You know, because obviously Ron DeSantis He's been in politics for a while. Uh, Nikki Haley been in politics for a while. Tim Scott was in for a while. Pence, before he got out, was in for a while. And then you got Vivek, right, which is kind of the total outsider candidate. But as you look at all of these different candidates, right, apart from Trump, which one do you think is doing the best job of explaining the philosophies that we've been talking about, individual liberty, personal responsibility, free market economics, lower taxes, less regulations, which candidate do you think is doing the best job of explaining those in a way that would be accessible to an audience that is sick of politics and, and just wants somebody to speak a little bit of common sense into their lives? Love that you brought this up. And I will rewind in, in your original conversation too about what we we're talking about with kids and, and kind of the 20, 30 years ago, politics was very rarely talked about. You know, I, I talk with baby boomers and they're like, it wasn't in your face as much as it is now. And you think about, you know, what your kids are watching, the bar, you know, Barbie and all these shows, politics and some sort of agenda is everywhere now, which is why it's so important, again, to have that role and, and the parental role of, of being able to counteract a lot of these things. But now to your point about someone like Vivek or or some of these other candidates. I think he's done the best job of saying, hey, look, number one, why is politics always in our face? Why aren't we talking about the issues with what what brought him to the scene, I think, was a book that he wrote a couple of years ago, years ago called Woke Inc. And it talked about his role in the private sector. Were you, have you, have you heard about it or have you, have you read it? Oh, I've heard about the book. I haven't read it yet, but I, I definitely know about the book. It is amazing. Why? Because it taught, it uncovered something that was brewing in corporate America for so long and in Silicon Valley, which was this wokeism. How are the socialists today using the same tactics that they did, you know, decades ago, but now with a modern take to it? And what they do with all this wokeism ideology is what they're really after is our free enterprise system. They want bigger government. They're really attacking what we stand for from an economic perspective, but they're doing it now with the culture war. This is their 2.0 way of of hammering on the communist Marxism uh, movement. And again, you're seeing it in media, you're seeing it in sports, you're seeing it everywhere. 
And Vivek was really, A, uncovering it and saying, why aren't we talking about the fact that these corporations are are, talk, are talking about wokeism when they should be talking about the bottom line. They should be keeping our, our the economy moving. And on top of that, what always brought people together, I think, and what, you know, we, we see in America is commerce. You know, when you go to an ice cream shop, you're not sitting there saying, hey, to the cashier, who did you vote for? Or to the owner of the of the ice cream shop, who did you vote for? Is this a Republican Democrat establishment? The divide is so apparent now because these Marxists use the cultural movement again to attack the economic system. And Vivek was the first one to say, to kind of really uncover that. Trump did it in his own way, in his own disruptive. He was disrupting and uncovering the swamp. But now Vivek is somebody that's uncovering it in every other aspect of American culture. And I think he, because he's a business person, he's able to then appeal to, to a mass audience because he's saying, people are fed up with this. The majority of Americans, they have run study after study, Nick, that say the majority of Americans, no matter what their ideology is, Republican or Democrat, do not agree with cultural wokeism. They don't believe mm-hmm. in the transgender push in the schools. They don't believe in these uh, you know, minority quotas in businesses. They don't believe in, in social justice reform guised under, you know, things like the Black Lives Matter movement. The majority of Americans don't agree with this. So somebody like Vivek is able to really capture the majority of people who are rational beings and saying, what is happening in this country when our kids are learning about um, transgender or have tampons in little boys' bathrooms at eighth grade? I mean, He's finally saying yeah. what everybody else is saying is like, look, this is just ridiculous. Let's go back to common sense to your point. No, is I, I think you're right. Um, his messaging strategy um, is has been. I, I think it reminds a lot more people of the way that Trump talked about things. Yeah. Um, and and it w- it was much more. It was it was kitchen table in the sense that he was talking about issues that that affected people and in, in their day to day lives. Again, it wasn't the the large scale esoteric philosophical arguments about governance. Um, but on top of that, he was also completely unafraid to call it like he saw it. And, and I, I even look at this now and I've got a, um, I've got a lot of respect for Ron DeSantis. And, um, and again, I haven't come out and endorsed any candidate in the, in the 2024 election cycle or anything like that. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying actually watching how this, how they actually go and advocate for what they believe and what they would actually do and what sort of commitments they're willing to make. Um, I, I was actually fascinated by what happened in Argentina recently. Yeah. Um, that's to me incredibly encouraging. But one of the things that that you've repeatedly brought up through throughout this conversation was the the economic side of this. Mm-hmm. And and you said something early on that I thought was really important because when I hear the left or when I hear progressives talk about our country, it's always about our government. It's always about our democracy. And you said something that is. I believe fundamental to properly understanding what a free society is supposed to be. Because mm-hmm. if a free society is nothing more than we get to vote for these guys every two, four to six years, that's not a free society. Mm-hmm. Not in any real practical term. The economic freedom, the economic component of this is critical. And, and I'll watch people dismiss it as like, well, well, that's just about money. No, it isn't, <laughs> right? You, your ability, your ability to 
own property and to dispense with that property the way that you would like to and your ability to have ownership over your own labor and thoughts and ideas and to be able to go out into the marketplace and engage in voluntary exchange and cooperation and competition with other people is so essential to what it means to be free. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I would argue the most essential thing to what it means to be free. Because if you were to tell me right now, Nick, you got one of two options. Like I want an option where I get to vote and I got to be economically free. Mm -hmm. But if you told me right now, Nick, you get to choose between a society where you don't get to vote, but they will absolutely respect your economic freedom. Yeah. Versus a society where they don't respect my economic freedom, but I get to vote. Yeah. I would choose the economically free society every day of the week and twice on Sunday. So why do you think why do you think that's so important and and when you look at the various candidates who do you think does um a a better job of articulating that point that a free society is not just getting to vote. A free society is getting to live in accordance with your values but also taking personal responsibility for it. So like why why does that why is it that you automatically see that economic component as being so essential to a free society? And who do you think is doing a, a good job? And what would you like to see more of with the respective candidates and articulating that side of the argument? I think the biggest issue is government, again, has gotten too big, right? When you have both sides of the aisle constantly passing legislation that ultimately does inhibit economic growth. I'll give you an example. Under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, uh, for some of these bigger companies, there was a lot more deregulation and obviously lower taxes. So here in the district, we had a manufacturing company that was suffering major labor shortages. So nobody wanted to work in the manufacturing space. They they were bleeding for, for labor. And what did that ultimately hurt? The bottom line, because they didn't have enough workers producing the resources and, and the what whatever this company was manufacturing. Under something like the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, because of all the deregulation that happened in a lot of different sectors and a lot of taxes that were pulled back, companies like, say, manufacturing company A over here was able to reinvest that money, create a apprenticeship program with a local high school, get in those young kids, and then boom, they solved their labor shortage right there. That was happening constantly in different industries, different companies, and in different states all across America. And what I think sometimes that the voter, um, what we need to do, again, a better job of is saying, hey, look, your politicians are ultimately creating and pushing policy that has the ability to help or hurt you. And what we see is Democrats want bigger government, they want more taxes, they want more regulation, and that ultimately hurts the kitchen table. So we need to look at how it's a bigger ecosystem. When you have billions of dollars being sent abroad to to fight in these proxy wars, and you know, again, the person on social security can't afford their grocery bills because their government keeps spending their money, inflation is happening, the economy is in shambles, there is a huge ecosystem that people, I think, sometimes we're not, politicians, again, it all comes back to the messaging. And when you have somebody like Nikki Haley or DeSantis that's sitting there and talking in these, you know, (laughs) wanting to send money away, or they're not, they're not looking at the average American person looking in the eye and say, I understand what you're going through because I am a fellow American and I get it. 
That's why Trump appealed to the forgotten man and woman, man and woman, because he was able to have this broad appeal. So it really comes down to messaging. And to your point, we need better messengers on the conservative side, because once people realize what we stand for when it comes to the economy, when it comes against the, the cultural wars, we would always win. It's just a matter of saying it right and getting in front of the right people to do so and having the messengers to do it. And so I think a lot of this old, we're having this awakening on our side, uh, on the Republican side of, hey, we need better messengers. We need disruptors. We need newcomers that are able, again, to have a broader appeal to the mainstream person. Whereas, again, the Democrats have done that right. They have what they're trying to sell. No one wants to buy. They're just pretty good at selling it sometimes. <laughs> so yeah. we need to have those values uh, and kind of resurrect the messaging on, on our side. Give it a facelift. Sure. Well, I know you're doing, I mean, obviously, you know, neither of our races turned out necessarily the way we, we might've predicted initially. Um, but you've been really busy since you ran for office. Tell, tell us a little bit about, because obviously you're still involved. You still care about these things and you're still fighting them. So what, what are the ways I, I know one of the reasons why we've invested so much in, in social media and working that is because I came to the, you know, conclusion fairly early on that, you know, politics, politics is downstream from culture. Yeah. And if you're not actually fighting for the culture, whether it be the marketplace, whether it be the arts and entertainment, whether it be education, if you're not fighting in these areas, well, then you're, you're, you're going to lose a war of attrition over time. You, you have to be competing in all these areas, not just politics. So what are some of the other areas that, that you're active in now that you're competing in now that, you know, are, are maybe, um, related to politics and still fighting for the things that you believe, but not necessarily emerging? In them. Nick, I'm, I was so proud that a couple months ago, actually earlier this year, we flipped four very important school board seats in our, our county. And we were able, obviously, you know, our, the outcome from the congressional race is not what we wanted, but we were able to build a platform and continue fundraising for our values. And what I saw was the biggest issue that these smaller school boards and local uh, candidates had, their biggest issue was lack of funding. And so what the progressives do is they have, you know, somebody who's in office at either the federal level or governor, and they'll start pumping in money to the local, at all local levels. I'm sure they do this in, in Virginia, the school board races. And that's really what's so important is starting, is at the smaller level. And what I found is in a lot of states and a lot of counties, they just weren't getting the support that they needed. So we were able to help out these uh, four different school board races. We completely annihilated the Democrats that were trying to push <laughs> progressive ideology. It was, I mean, it was getting so bad in the schools here in Illinois. We have horrible um, state uh, policies, but luckily we're still fighting back at the local level. And so we were really proud of that. So I've been very involved and very vocal um, in local politics here. Uh, with my PAC, Defense of Freedom PAC, we uh, help you know fundraise and, and help obviously. And you'll know you know this because you ran. You know how much money it takes to win these things to be able to get in front of the masses and and be able to yeah. market your message correctly, and, and even have the manpower and the ground game too. So we've been really helping out um, at the smaller level and also continuing to do things like this. You know, get out there um, from a, a a media perspective and share our message. You know, I hope that in the small capacity that I'm able to contribute to the movement, if if a young girl or even a young you know man out there says, hey, look, I like what, you know, 
Catalina has to say. I like what Nick has to say. I, I relate to these people because they're normal, everyday individuals. They're not these button-up politicians. And I know that we did our job uh, in the capacity that we can for the movement. And so any way that we get out there and talk uh, about these things, I think is so important and to be vocal and to, ha to have the tough converse conversations. Um, a teacher always told me, she said, if you don't believe in something, you'll fall for anything. And so sometimes, especially millennials, are so afraid to go out there and, and share what they believe because they, they don't want to be, you know, crushed by the mob and, and crushed, especially when it's all around you and have the conversation speak out. Uh, and I think the way that we politicians that aren't really in the process necessarily running for office can still continue to have a voice is by having a voice and getting out there still. So I've been trying to do a lot of that. I'm, my sister and I have our own startup. We are in uh, the kids' uh, nutraceutical space. So we have a prebiotic and we're disrupting big pharma. And so that's another way that we try to still be involved in the political process is a lot of, uh, obviously, big pharma is, is ruled by uh, the political class, lobbyists, and, and all that. And so we started a company that um, is is trying to really get involved in that in the gut microbiome space and and solve the problem from within, not just putting a bandaid over it. So both on an economic and cultural level, still trying to be involved in, in finding my own way. No, that's great. Well, listen, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to to talk with us. Where can where can people learn more about what you're doing, and and where can people follow you on social media? Yeah, I'm at Catalina. Uh, Catalina Lauf on all social media platforms, uh, CatalinaForCongress.com, still active, and DefensiveFreedomPack.com uh, as well. All right. Oh, so Catalina uh, Lauf for Congress, still active. All right. So it's it's still... <laughs> It's still there. It's still there. Well, listen, I, I, once again, I want to thank you for, for taking the time to, to be able to, you know, share with us your, your thoughts on, on kind of the issues of the day that, that all of us are, are considering right now. Uh, but also your, your willingness to get out there, put yourself out there and, and run for office. I, I know it's, it's not difficult. Uh, no matter where you do it, it's not easy, but I imagine doing it in certain parts of Illinois um, can be even a little bit more intimidating for for someone that believes the things that you do. So I really appreciate you being being willing to put yourself out there and uh, continuing to be involved. I, I see this all the time. People will... <laughs> They will get in there, they'll run for office, it doesn't go the way they want, and then they disappear. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and it's incredibly frustrating. And so it's very encouraging to see someone that was, was, willing to, was willing to get into a very difficult race that everyone knew was going to be an incredibly difficult race, uh, was, was willing to fight the way you did and then remain involved. Um, and again, not just, not just politically, but, but culturally. And I think that's, that's really important because like you said before, I think we're all encouraged when we, when we see people that we can relate to standing up and saying the things that we think and and speaking in ways that we can resonate with and and really showing people that they're not alone and you've done a good job of that. So thank you very much, Catalina. Really appreciate uh, all of our viewers. Once again, thank you for watching Making the Argument. Uh, appreciate it as always. Also consider joining our community chat over in Circle. We'll have the uh, the link for that in the description. Once again, thank you for joining us and we will see you next episode.